Hello and welcome to The Boss Podcast, episode 88. I am Kirk Bailey and this week I am bringing you a talk from Michael Lopp, more commonly known as Rans, called Talk Shit, Delegate and Know What You Want. Yes, this talk does have a few swear words in it, so be warned. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. In 2010, Michael began working at Planeter after more than eight years at Apple. In June 2014, after four years, he left Planeter for Pinterest. He then became Vice President of Engineering at Slack in May of 2016. Michael's released several books and essays and blogs of things he has learned as a software engineering manager. In this talk, Michael will explore the soft skills necessary for building a product in a company full of bright people who all think they are right. Happy listening. My name is Michael Lopp. I have two confessions. Um, confession number one is I would not be standing on this stage <clears throat> if it wasn't for Joel. Joel, um, as many of you probably have read, in, I started reading him in there early in this millennium, he uh, was a very approachable voice in software development. And it was a very attractive voice to me. And it was like the first time I found someone on the web that like, really spoke to me. And um, it was one of the reasons and one of the inspirations for why I write how I write. So thank you, Joel. I appreciate that. Um, confession number two. Is Kathy Sierra here? Kathy, are you here? No, she's not here. OK, good. Um, <laughs> I was reading um, some tweets from Kathy this weekend. And she was talking about swearing. And uh, how, you know, if you only swore once every decade, it'd be very powerful. There is a problem with my presentation in that I'm going to do some swearing in the presentation. Sorry, Kathy. <clears throat> Think of it like this. Think of it that it's not 9 in the morning. It's 5 PM. We're down the street at the W in the bar, and we're having a drink. And we're shooting the breeze. You're having a margarita. I'm having a vodka tonic. And we're probably swearing. That's the tone of this presentation. It's a little bit lighter. We're going to talk about some big things. But there's some swearing. The presentation is called Talk Shit, Delegate, and Know What You Want. I am Rans and Repose. I write a blog. I'm Michael Lopp. I work in the Silicon Valley as an engineering manager. I've been here my entire life. It's a wonderful thing. But the reason I'm here is I write this blog um, called uh, Rans and Repose. And I worry about some very interesting things at this blog. Um, the Nerd Handbook was an uh, article that I wrote that you may have heard about, maybe I don't know, which is an article for you to give to your significant others. You're a nerd, you're a geek. This is something that you give to them to say, listen, <laughs> this is why I have a cave. This is why you can't bug me. This is why distractions really piss me off. It's an article that you can give to them and say, this, this is why I am how I am. Um, other things that I write about um, are uh, organizational dynamics what to do when the sky is falling, how to deal with people, how to deal with uh, tense situations, how to avoid conflict, um, all these sorts of things. And then I've really been worrying a lot about sort of the career of the nerd and the geek. Um, how do we leverage these skills that we have to be better, to get promoted, to do more? Uh, this is an article about uh, resumes and how I look at them and what we should be putting into them. Anyway, um, all of this worrying has resulted in a book, as Joel spoke about, um, I wrote a book called Managing Humans, which is about managing humans. There's a curse in technology. There's a curse in the Silicon Valley that I worry about a lot, which is um, you as engineers who do well and get promoted and do well and get promoted some more, eventually 
get to be managers. And everything that you knew and were good at over here, you suddenly have a totally different skill set. Everything that was good here doesn't apply over here. And everyone thinks you're just going to be good at it, right? And that's not necessarily the case. You were trained to be a system thinker. You were trained to be a person who solved problems, who understands the world and thinks about the world in sort of a finite state machine and is a knowable thing. And then you get over here, and the world is full of these people. And the people are messy, and these people are unpredictable, and they're hard to imagine what they're going to do. And it's very hard. So anyway, that's what that book was about. Uh, managing humans was kind of figuring out how to take an engineer and make him or her a better manager. I'm writing another book for O'Reilly called Being Geek, which is a career handbook um, for geeks. Um, this is really close to done right now. This is why I look kind of sour right now, is it's like three chapters left. Anyway, let's get to the, so let's get to the point here. I have no business being at the so Business of Software conference. I'll tell you why. After I catch my breath. When I think of business, I think of um, MBAs sitting there in Excel, typing in their spreadsheets. I think of CEOs thinking big, huge strategic thoughts. Um, I, what I worry about, what I do a lot of thinking about is things which, yes, they do apply to business. It's soft skills. What are soft skills? This term pisses me off. I'll tell you why. Soft skills implies, this, this name implies this is something, that this is something which is easy, that it's soft. This is really, really hard for us. Again, we're nerds, we're geeks, we're system thinkers. And all these messy people are making it really hard for us to get our stuff done. So we need to have these soft skills. We need to learn these things, these skills that uh, make it easier for to deal with all these messy human beings. Soft skills, like getting to know other people, influencing others, how to deal with conflict, working as a team, getting to, getting, working with all these messy human beings. <clears throat> I would argue that if you don't care about, I would argue that everybody in this room cares about these, because you're here. Why are you here? Not to watch this guy in the black shirt kind of wave his hands up here. You're here to actually meet everyone in the room, right? I just had lunch, uh, breakfast with some folks. We're exchanging cards. What are we doing? We're making the world a smaller place by meeting more people. We're networking, right? Again, this is not our natural state. A lot of the, I mean, I realize I'm being cliche here. Geeks and nerds, we kind of like to be hiding, and we like to be working. But again, this is something that we need to be able to do if we want to grow. So, presentations 101. This is day three of business of conference, business of software. Um, uh, presentations 101. Every presentation, just so you know, if you ever get a big stand up here on a very small stage, it makes you very nervous. Um, presentation is an arc and it's three points. An arc, which ties it all together, and three points. My arc is this. Software development is a series of decisions. When you go and decide to go build something, it's the beginning of a lot of decisions that you're going to make, right? The brilliant part of being a developer is that no matter what the product marketing guy says, or the CEO says, or the person over in uh, the design guy says, you own the bits. And that's a brilliant thing. You get to decide what you're actually going to go and build. Now, at the marketing conference that's going on over there, they're saying the same thing about what they do. That's okay, we all have our different perspectives, but the thing is, we get to decide. It's a very empowering thing. There's two classes of decisions that I want to talk about. The first one um, are the big decisions. These are the massive decisions that you make. We are gonna go build a wiki, and it's gonna be in Python, it's gonna be this. These massive decisions that there's wikis, and there's meetings, and there's yelling, and all of these people, the they're well-vetted decisions. These decisions are 
big, and hopefully, because they're so big and they get so much scrutiny, they go well. I don't know. I don't want to talk about these decisions. I want to talk, this balance of this talk is really to talk about the little decisions, the little small ones. These are the ones that come up to your desk, and you decide immediately, I'm going to use this variable name. I'm going to arrange my windows like this. I like them like this. I need a second monitor. I think the feature, I'm reading the feature description, I think this, this is what they mean. My educated opinion is that the balance of the decisions that you're going to make over the course of developing a product are little small ones that happen with no fuss. And you don't vet it. You don't get up and stand over and talk to Bob and say, hey, Bob, it's, they're, they're done. And these are very, it's a balance. More than 50% of the decisions that you're going to do are going to be little tiny ones. All right, so this is my uh, visual metaphor for this presentation. This is the product decision graph. I'll walk you through it. Think of it like this. Um, the uh, product decision graph is this is every decision that you're going to go make throughout a product, right? Product, think of it as decisions per day, and it's not to scale. And at the bottom, we'll walk through this. This is your product life cycle, all right? Here we go. Product life cycle starts. Holy shit, I've got this great idea. Let's get started. Sure, it's Friday at 10 o'clock. Let's go, come on, I'm ready, let's write. You're fired up, you're ready to go. And then you start to get to say, you're like, okay, wow, we're getting some momentum here, we can do this, this is moving along, I'm liking this, I'm feeling it, <clears throat> okay. I can actually feel the structure here. It's coming together. I can see what we're building now. I can feel that we're making momentum. I can't see the end yet, but at least I can feel that we're somewhere right in the middle. This is great. All right. This is really going on right now. Uh, it's real. We're committed. There's schedules. People are signed up. There's money involved. Something's going on. And then you go, oh, crap. <laughs> there's this inflection point in every software project I've ever been at. This is the despair. Right? You get there and you're like, uh, there's no way we can pull this off. <laughs> we're done. There's too many bugs. The features aren't done. Uh, it's just we're screwed. I'm screwed. And then we're screwed, right? And everyone realizes, like, oh, <laughs> we are all screwed. This is going to be awful, right? And there's an interesting thing that happens at sort of this inflection point that I'll talk about in a second. And then you moved out of that into a state of sort of, all right, I've slept. I haven't slept in four days. That's cool. And I've gotten through the bugs. We've scrubbed the bugs. We've adjusted the schedule. I can actually see the end of the road. There's a glimmer of hope. And then there's actual hope. You're getting close to it. And then you're done. Now, <clears throat> back to the graph. There's this I'm screwed point right in the middle here. And there's something that is interesting in metaphoric that happens here, which is when you realize you're screwed or the team realizes they're screwed, they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to stop, stop adding chaos to this. We're going to stop making decisions. We're going to start focusing on done. That's what the screwed state in the middle does, right? It says, okay, I've got your attention now. Product's got your attention now. We're going to turn the corner. <clears throat> this graph is all wrong, by the way. But there's a couple other, the shape of this graph is all wrong, but there's a couple other things that are implicit in this graph. Number one is decisions made earlier cost less. Think of it like this. If you were going to decide to make your product perform amazingly well, when do you think it's going to cost more? Actual hope or when you're just at the beginning? Putting in performance late in the game, deciding to put in late in the game, very expensive. So the idea here with this graph is the earlier you make the decision, the less the cost. The goal is to make decisions well, obviously. The other rule inside of this is any decision that you make poorly is going to be another decision later. So the bigger it is, the more you're probably screwing up. 
What you want to do, obviously, is you want to have a product that ships on time, of the quality you want. You want to decrease chaos. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is some of the skills to make little, how can we make little decisions better? These are three skills I use on a daily basis to hopefully make my little decisions a little bit better. I talk shit, I delegate, and I know what I want. Why I talk shit? Because you want to make fun of people. No. <laughs> you want to make it know it sound like you, you might want to make it know that you sound like you might get sound like you know what you're talking about. No. You want to be the life of the party. This is not what I'm talking about with talking shit. I'm actually talking about improvisation. I hope no hands are raised. Has anyone heard of this website? Show of hands. Joel, only one. Thank God. This is a website you should not go to. I know you're tweeting it right now. It's an awful webcomic. It's awful. It's horrifically bad. It's, and it's my fault. Um, I haven't been there. I haven't done anything with it for many, many years. But it's just a webcomic, and there's a long story behind it. But the story behind it is actually a chat room that um, me and a couple of my friends wrote when I was working at Netscape in the mid-'90s. This chat room is called Hanford, and it was the predecessor to this awful website that you should not go to. Really. Um, what this chat room was, is we were working on Netscape Navigator, which you may have heard of. Um, and we were you know, not sleeping for months on end. And we got in this chat room. It was just five of us. And what was an interesting thing happened in there. It was just, we picked names. My name was Rands. Um, so what we did in this room was there was no one else was watching. And an interesting thing happened in this room. It was there was one really kind of guiding principle was say something so funny that someone would stop and type, ha, 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 ha. It's a big deal. This, this is pre-LOL, which is, dates me right there. Um, but um, it was like you stopped, and you got someone, a friend of yours, say, ha, 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 which is actually a big deal to get someone to say, you know, actually laugh by typing instead of actually just laughing. So it was a comedy room. We went in there, and we just, and we just tried to make each other laugh. We tried to be witty. We tried to be clever. The other guiding principle was there was no holds barred. You could say whatever you want. Nobody was watching, which means the things that were said in here were horrifically bad. And that's why you shouldn't go to Jerk City. But they were funny. It was hilarious. What happens when you don't have any rules is people just start getting really crazy. And it was interesting. The other, one of the rules we had in there was, not rules, one of the goals was to say something so offensive to somebody that they logged out and they didn't come back for a week. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> um, <laughs> But what does this have to do with making decisions? What's happening, what Hanford did for me, I was in there for two or three years, was it was sort of a comedy boot camp. It was an improvisational boot camp. And being in there and being clever and witty, which I think geeks and nerds are predisposed to be good at, was something that I think was a valuable skill. I'm obviously talking about improvisation. Improvisation is the art of building something useful out of nothing incredibly quickly. And it's really cool when you can do it well. And I think improvisation and little decision making better are very related. <clears throat> improvisation is about critical thinking. It's about thinking on your feet. It's about the funny. Here's a definition for critical thinking. I'm going to let you read while I <clears throat> departure myself. <clears throat> critical thinking is purposeful, reflective judgment about what to believe or what to respond to, observations, experience, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. It's a big, huge quote. What I actually see in sort of inside of critical thinking, what I do when a little decision comes, and I'm making a quick look at it, I do this 
quick assessment about the decision I'm going to make. Am I full of shit? Yes or no? Am I full of shit? Yes or no? And you make a quick read, this thing that you're doing, and you sit there and you make this read. Am I, do, am I qualified to understand this decision I'm about to make? And it happens in an instant. And you can get better at kind of making this read. Is this someone I need to involve someone in? Or can I make a call really quickly on it? How can we do this well? Why are nerds and geeks really, really good at this? What you all have in your heads, what you've developed and been trained in university or by, by just osmosis, is you have what I think is a tremendous relevancy engine in your head. What is a relevancy engine? You're consuming information. I'm looking at people laptopping right now. They're reading. They're multitasking. They're gathering a lot of information. What are you doing? You're not writing it all down and keeping a journal and say, hey, today I learned these 14 new things. You're putting in your head and you're saying, oh, red. I know what this is. Red. This goes in the red pile. Oh, blue. Blue pile. Oh, bright and shiny. <laughs> this is interesting. I'm going to give this the attention that it deserves. 17 whole seconds. Cool. Okay, next. Let's go, right? So this is what we're doing. We're constantly assessing. We're constantly gathering data. And we're sorting it. We're organizing it. And what are we doing with that? It's experience, right? But what, here's the thing we can do is we can quickly look at something and say, this reminds me of that. Or this is this sort of thing, right? We have this relevance engine. And what I, what I, this is kind of how I see the moment of creation with a little decision and improvisation. You have a situation. You have a decision that you need to make. I don't know what it is. Pick a decision. Something that happens tomorrow. You got a mail. Bob wants this. Hmm, what should I do there, right? And then there's the aha. This is the optimal, correct answer to whatever this situation is. And what do you do? Well, you go and you parse every single little thing that you've ever done. And you're like, da 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 da, what's that thing? There's no time in a meal, da da da. There's all of these things that you've done. And you sit there and you quickly map it. And this is where the brilliance is. And this is what improvisation is about is how do you quickly map these things together, right? And it's not always the most obvious thing. But it's something that this is, and this is where the brilliance comes, it's the right thing. It's the process of finding material in the middle that's the instinct. How do I parse these things together? Yes, this is experience. You've got to have experience to be able to do this. But this is also a learned skill. This is something that you can actually go and get better at. Yeah, there's people that are just funny. That's fine. There's, but I'm saying, what I'm telling you is I think the improvisation skill is something that you can learn and get better at. You have a great relevancy engine in your head. You've been trained to have it. So you can, I think you can use it better. How does this help making decisions? What is this great relevancy engine, this improvisational skill, how does that help you? Well, like I said, quickly parse everything that you know, right? This is why I think nerds and geeks are kind of clever and funny. It's not talking shit. It's that, that ability to kind of just pull something out of the air. And you laugh about it because you recognize that it's something new or that it's something that's funny or something that's relevant. What I think improvisation allows you to do isn't just the funny piece, but it's also it allows you to kind of map these things together in, in creative ways. So the answer to your little decision maybe isn't the obvious one, isn't the path of least resistance decision, but hopefully the best one. Again, this is quickly. This is something you do fast, right? So how do, can you do this? So um, there was. Um, if you don't want to write a chat room software with five of your friends to um, abuse you for three years, there's other ways that you can actually, uh, I think, practice this. And I think there's, um, there's this game that I, uh, there was this game at Netscape uh, Bridge every Wednesday. 
and it was a director of engineering and the director of uh, product manager, security nerd, and uh, curmudgeonly architect. And they played every Wednesday, same time, every week. Does anybody know about this game? Someone's smiling. No, no, okay. Anyway, so they played every week, and it was sort of this famous game. Every week, they sat down, and they played bridge. Great, they played a game. No, what they were doing a thing. They were doing a lot of things. But one of the things they were doing is they were improving their improvisational skills because it's a team game, and they rip on each other all the time, right? They're doing other things here. This sort of meeting is really valuable in a lot of other ways because they were also gossiping and making quick decisions, and they were just doing this sort of cross-pollination improvisational thing. This game every week um, was really sort of setting the culture of the company, but it was also a place where they were really kind of taking a mental break from the day. They were actually getting a lot of work done. It didn't look like work because they were playing cards, but they were actually getting a lot of work done. To this day, I play another game. It's called Back Alley Bridge. I try to have this game twice a week. And what I do is I surround myself with my favorite people. And uh, we sit down, and we have this break in the day. And we sit down, and we rip on each other, and we gossip a little, and we make decisions. We do this sort of thing. It's a delicious part of our week where we get to sit down, and we actually got to have something outside of the daily sort of like grind, we can sit down and play. It's an awesome game, and it's a team game, so you got teams playing and historic stuff, and people talk shit all the time, but it's something that you can do. It's a outside of the norm sort of exercise, and it's something, it's not just the fun thing, it's actually sitting down there and actually talking shit and getting better at improvisation. Talking shit <clears throat> is less about uh, the funny and more about the skill of improvisation. If you're hearing anything negative, and when I say talking shit, you're hearing it wrong. It's really about improvisation. It's about quick wit. It's about looking at a decision and making the optimal, fastest, best decision that you can. Little decisions, right? So what does this do to our arc? Let's see here. Let's take a break. So a little metaphoric arc here. What this does, what I think when you do, if your improvisational skills are good regarding these little decisions, what I think happens is that you're actually going to be making less decisions, right? Because you, like I said earlier, right? Any decision that you make is bad, you're going to make again. More cost, more, more, more lacking, more cost, more, less predictability, less, less uh, what am I trying to say here? Less belief in what you're actually going to be doing. You can't actually predict the end when you're making more decisions and it's costing more and you're not sure exactly all the decisions that you need to make. So what I think improvisation does is it decreases the actual amount of decisions you have to make because you're making less mistakes, right? That was point number one. Point number two, delegation. How many of you, show of hands, feel that you're good at delegating tasks, like good at it? Seven? How many people at this conference, Joel? A couple hundred? Seven. Uh, every time I ask it of this sort of demographic, that's what I get back. This is really interesting, self-identifying. You guys are honest, too. Why do you want to delegate? You want to dodge work. <laughs> hey, Bob, can you handle this for me? Because I don't want to do it. Or you want to throw someone under the bus, my least favorite phrase ever. No, this is not what I mean by delegation. Um, there's uh, this thing that I call the geek credo that I'm doing in this next book, and it kind of takes a book to explain. But this is how I think as a geek, as a nerd. This is kind of my rule set. And again, there's a book to explain this, so I'm going to try to do it in a minute or two here. This is what I think it is to be a geek. We seek definition in the world 
to understand the system, because we're system thinkers, so that we can discern the rules, because rules make the world an understanding, uh, understandable place, so that we know what to do next, because it's all a, full, it's all a finite state machine, right, of course, <clears throat> so that we win, because winning is awesome. <laughs> Who doesn't want to win, right? It's a game to be figured out, of course. Like any other game, like World of Warcraft. Life is just like World of Warcraft with less night elves. Um, so um, this is how I see the world. Really, I really see the world this way. This is a total flippin' illusion, of course, because the world is this very messy place where unpredictable things happen. But again, this is how I see the world. And this is why I think we're really bad at delegation because the implication inside of all of this is that we are all control freaks, right? We are, and this is a great thing. We're control freaks because we have learned long ago that any piece of data that we don't know and can't control is gonna come back as a bug, is gonna come back as something that we didn't understand, and it's gonna piss us off because it's this thing that's outside of the system. We are control freaks. That's cool, that's all right. You gotta embrace it, all right? I'm okay with that. I'm totally a control freak. Here's the problem. <clears throat> I guarantee this. There's something that you are bad at. I would love to be able to draw, but I am in my 30s now, and it's still stick figure city. And I've been trying, too. I've been working at it, and I'm still bad, horrifically bad. You would think in three decades, three plus decades of living, that some opportunity or some class would have shown up where I would have gotten better. But I'm bad at this. And I liked, I'd love to be great at it. You are bad at something. And you have a choice regarding this horrificness. You have a choice. The question is, do you want to do more? I have a cave that I work in. I have a cave at work, and I have a cave at home. I love to be in here. I love when there's noise. It bugs the hell out of me. I know where all my stuff is. I know where my books are. Both, both of my caves are very well defined. When people come in, I swear to God, I shouldn't say this because people who work for me are here. It's, my first thing is like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you in my space? Please don't touch my stuff, okay? <laughs> it's my first thing. <laughs> Two seconds. I always do that every single time. The question is, do you want to do more? Do you want to get outside your cave and do you want to do more, right? And your question is, if you're bad at something, you have a choice. You can choose to improve at it, and I'm an optimist. I believe that I could spend the next 15 years taking art classes and doing everything and actually probably get reasonably good at drawing. But in the meantime, I would not be doing the things that I love, which are writing, which is managing teams, which is being a surfer. I would be sitting there fretting about learning how to draw. And I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing it would always be a B. So the question is for you is, do you want to do more? Do you want to delegate the thing that you're horrifically bad at? But I'm indie. How many one-person shops do we have in here? One person. All right. Well, one to 50. OK. Wow. Totally ginormous. Show of hands. One to 50. All right. OK. Um, so for your smaller folks, I, I, um, I, um, for your smaller folks, my there's, there's always a people who are like, I'm independent, and I'm really happy that I you know, live here on the East Coast, and I get to wake up at 10 o'clock and put on my white robe and drink out of my French press, and I'm a one-man shop. So I don't need to delegate anything. 
you absolutely need to delegate it. You've actually got it worse than the people at the larger companies in that I can go and delegate to someone and say, and I can see them in the hallway. We work for the same company, and we can, I can, he's got skin in the game, so I can actually talk to him. Delegation is, delegation in the independent case is really, really hard because you want to control, but there's just things you don't want to be a, you don't want to be a cash register. You don't want to be a visual designer. You've really got to, you've got to decide to actually go and push work to other people. And here's the rub. This is the thing you got to let go of as a nerd and a geek. So you find a thing that you're going to go and delegate to. You're going to give it to someone, and they're going to say, hey, can you do this for me? I need to do this. I've got to trust you. You're going to do it. Please pull it off. What they're going to do, I guarantee it, and, and this is what you fear, is going to be 80% of what you want. It's going to be less than what you want. It's just the way it is. It would be great, and you can write the best specs, and you can put gateways, checkpoints, and all that stuff. It's still going to be less than what you expect, because the model in your head, because you're a control freak, is far better than the model in their head. But they're going and doing what they're good at. And while you're going and delegating to those people, you get to go do things that you love. It's really kind of cool. Um, I was, uh, had the pleasure of working with five great engineers and me, sort of an engineer, sort of a manager. It's kind of sad. Anyway, um, we um, were doing collaboration software. And it was 1.0. And anyone who's done 1.0 knows that that's the best thing to do. It's scary as hell, but you're starting with a clean slate, right? Getting, getting to do it for the first time. We're doing collaboration software. It's the five of us. Don't have a huge schedule. And we had three months of nerd nirvana. Whiteboard sessions, and we designed the hell out of this, and it was great. And three months in, we had our kind of rough prototype, and we took it to a couple of our customers, and we, we discovered that we had designed the world's best collaboration software for nerds. <laughs> the teacher's looking at this and going, uh, keyboard support? This is really interesting, but you know, why doesn't the mouse do what I expect? The small business owner was going like, wow, this is a really rich uh, markup language, but how do I make it bold again? You know, it, was, it was completely, incredibly good software for nerds, completely horrible software for human beings. So what happened there? What did we do? Well, we didn't delegate an important part of it. We hired this guy named Mark. And um, Mark was sort of this jack of all trades, requirements scrubber, visual design guy, and uh, you know, interaction guy. And he sat there, and he didn't say anything for two weeks. And then he started talking. And he was absolutely, totally wrong. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> he was just not. He was, he was reflecting the requirements better than we were thinking about it, because we were sit there lost in our nerd collaboration software nirvana. So I decided, after I got really pissed off at him, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to let him go. He is good at this. He's better at this than me. I'm going to delegate to him, and I'm just going to let him roll with it. And I sat there grinding my teeth for about a month, going like, God, he's going to take this off the rails, and this is awful. And after about a month, it was starting to come together. And it was a brilliant thing to watch someone do something that they're good at. And after another month, everyone was signed up. And we, the nerds, were happily doing the things that we were really good at. We were designing a plug-in architecture. We were making it faster. We were doing all the things. We were making sure the indents were all correct. You know, all those obsessive, compulsive, fun things. We allowed people to be good at what they're good at. Allowed people to go be good at so we could focus on the things that we wanted to be good at. Delegation, we're bad at it. But 
<clears throat> you can still have vision. You can still be a maniacal control freak and not do all the work. But you've got to trust. You've got to trust that others can help. Seven of you raised your hand when I asked the question, are you good at delegation? That's interesting, right? That means a lot of you don't think you're good at it. That means you're probably doing work that maybe you're horrible at. And I, the question that I want to leave you with is, what would you do if you had two more hours a day to do something that you love? Because you took something and you gave it to someone else. It's not a no work task to delegate to someone else. You've got to watch it. And if you're the manager responsible, you've got to measure it and you've got to do all these sorts of things. But it creates capacity. It creates potential and opportunity. What does it do to the arc? Um, back to our arc. I love my arc. Um, so what it does here, so delegation doesn't like make less decisions, obviously, because you're just taking the decision from me and giving it to Mark. But what it does is, the theory is, if you hire people or you delegate to people that are competent, it does something that I love to do. It pushes the problem closer to the person who's best able to make the decision, right? It's not me making it up. It's fun to make it up and to guess and kind of go, hmm, let's see. I'll use my improvisation skills and see how this pulls together. But it pushes, the, it pushes the decision to the person who's more capable of doing it. And if they're competent, they're going to make it better. So what happens there? It's the same rule as the last one, which is less decisions screwed up, which means less decisions overall, which means less revisiting of the decisions. Higher predictability in what you're actually going to do. and. Um, lower cost because you're making less decisions. With me? All right. Third point, halfway through. <clears throat> Kathy, we're here. Are you here now, Kathy? I'm still swearing, by the way. Um, <clears throat> there was a swear. I, was, I, took a, I took the word shit out of this slide because this says, knowing what you want takes a shit ton of work. And I just kept on saying, am I being you know, over the top with the swearing? So now I've said it, so I've defeated the whole purpose of taking it out in the first place. Anyway, um, knowing what you want is a shit ton of work. This is a massive amount of work. Do not confuse an opinion, Android or iPhone. I don't know. Android is pretty good. Don't confuse an opinion with knowing what you want. It's just an opinion. Any of you can have an opinion about a thing. Don't confuse confidence about a topic with knowing what you want. That comes later. Knowing what you want <clears throat> means totally and completely defining the thing that you want. And it's really, really, really hard. I'm talking about all of the data. I'm talking about sitting down there and really understanding the product that you're building. You need to be an expert in knowing what you want. Otherwise, it's just hope. Otherwise, it's just opinion. So let's think about this a little bit. Who are some people that know what they want? Still not here, Kathy? All right, good. Um, if you wanted to know something about creating passionate users, about what titillates the human brain, you would absolutely go to Kathy Sierra. And she would talk to you endlessly about this. She already has, right? You know that she, can, you know that she has a huge amount of data about this space. You know that she's an expert in this space. If you wanted a friend of mine, John Gruber, runs a website called Daring Fireball. <clears throat> if you wanted to know about the relative merits of Helvetica versus uh, Futura for four hours, <laughs> John Gruber's your man. 
right? This guy can talk about typography for days. He could sit there and walk you through every typographic decision he's made on his website. And you go there and it looks really simple, and then you ask him about it, and then it's two days later, and you're going, where did I, what the hell happened there? Two days passed. <laughs> he knows what he wants. He's very clear about what he wants. If you want to know how to build an office for an engineer, I would go ask this gentleman over here. Joel will tell you in great detail, as he's written, what is the optimal office for an engineer. Should there be two of them in there? What's the lighting? What's, how, many, how much space do they need? Should there be shelves for books? He can go on and on, and he has about this. Thank you, Joel, by the way. You're totally right. Um, the thing is about these um, people, the thing that is, I think, the thing that I always see when I know that I've seen someone who knows what they want is they can do something kind of powerful, right? They have this very crystal clear picture of what they want, and they can explain to anybody, the CEO, the VP of marketing, my 10-year-old son, about what they want. Hey, Spencer. Spencer's my son. Spencer, and I'm Joel. What are you doing with my son's Joel? Anyway, hey, Spencer, you got to tell you, man, two monitors is the bomb. You gotta have two monitors. It's not just the real estate, it's the productivity. And Joel would talk to my son for an hour about why two monitors is a great nirvana state for engineers. The people who know that they want are capable. Their picture is so clear, they can, they can adjust the message to any other person. And this is a lot of work, right? This is a huge amount of work. <clears throat> What does this do? I'm going to talk to, I'm going to normally have the graph at the end, but this does something incredibly powerful to my graph, which has lots of lines on it now. What it does, what knowing what you want does to this graph is the best thing that you can do to this graph. It moves the decisions earlier, right? Looks like there's a little bit more, but again, this is not to scale. What is, why is this good? It's good because of all the rules that I've already explained to you. Decisions later in the game, more cost, right? If you can, you can screw up earlier and adjust earlier, that's a really good thing. This cost is, the cost is lower, the predictability is higher, and, it's, and you, you make all the decisions early in the game. I'm gonna talk to you guys about a guy named Felix. Felix is a, a guy who used to work for me. Felix is a jerk. Why is Felix a jerk? What is he doing to piss us off? What Felix does, you, know, you probably know a Felix. Felix is the guy in the meeting who will not let the meeting end until every decision that has been presented has been decided on. But every question that has been asked is answered. You will not let this meeting end. So it's early, in the, it's early in the design cycle, and you have 17 questions that are asked. Are we going to do this or this? I see, marketing person, that you want this algorithm. Okay, um, most recent items, most popular items. Okay, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, most popular. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, this isn't this. Well, what do you mean about, you want it to be great over time, da, da, da. He sits there and he puts everybody who's asking him to build him or his team to build something through the grinder. What is he doing? And he's doing this early in the cycle. What is he doing? He's getting all of the decisions out of the way early. And it's an incredibly painful process because how many of you have gotten a spec from a marketing person 
that's been uh, vague. <laughs> Just the one? <laughs> I don't believe that. How many of you have gotten every spec from marketing has been vague? <laughs> Me? Um, so the thing there is people like, I don't want to rip on marketing because some good friends of mine in marketing, people like to be hand wavy. We're going to do a wiki, and it's going to be for nerds. We good? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, we're not good at all. There's a lot more to define inside of that. <clears throat> There's a lot to do inside of that. And what we need to do as engineers is get those decisions, as nerds and geeks, get those decisions made early and often. Of the things that I've learned in the past couple of years, if I was going to leave you with one thing as part of this presentation, it's this. This is the one thing that I've learned in the last recently that has increased the probability that I'm going to hit my date, that we spend a huge amount of time up front doing the design. I think this is called, I think there's a philosophy here, I'm sure, called big design up front or something like that. This is incredibly hard to do because as soon as you get the spec for marketing and it's vague, it's like, well, there's enough here for me to start coding. So that's what you go and do. But that's not the right thing to do because you're going to get halfway to the coding and you're going to go, uh, I'm screwed, and you're going to have more decisions that you need to make. You want to spend as much time up front figuring out what you want. I'm not talking about artifacts like specs and wikis and whatnot. I'm talking about one person on the team who has deep knowledge about the thing is that we're developing. Why is this useful? <clears throat> Why is knowing what you want useful? Decisions in a crisis. Two situations. The sky is falling. My hair is on fire. What do you do in this case? You pop up the sky and you put some water on your hair, right? Great. That's sort of path of least resistance decision making, right? When those sorts of things are happening, it's really easy to have that re knee jerk reaction and say, "This is just what we're going to do. It's going to be this little simple thing, and then we're going to be done." Knowing what you want allows you to actually make perhaps a harder decision there, keep your team on the track. It allows decisions in a crisis not to get lost in the crisis, but lost in, OK, this is what we're really going to do here. We have a spec. We have Bob over here who really has a clear idea what you want. Knowing what you want, this should actually see, say, a measure, so you'd say measure or something like that. Knowing what you want gives you sort of a metric, it gives you a yardstick about how to get better. If you know what you want, you know how close you are to being done. If you know what you want and something bad happens, you can say, well, this is bad, and this is where we want to be, and this is the distance between those two things. Let's fix that. Knowing what you want gives you a measure of, I would say, health, the product health. Knowing what you want makes you really good at negotiation, too. How many of you have bought a car in a dealership? How many of you got done with that and felt like someone had kicked you in the stomach? Same people. Interesting. Why is that? <clears throat> if you bought a car in a dealership, this is what you did. You said, I want a BMW. Silver, five-speed, coupe, two doors, sweet, aluminum trim. These are the rims that I want. I know what I want. That's the car that I want, right? So you go down to Stevens Creek BMW down there in San Jose, and you walk in, and uh, Phil sees you with that big smile on your face going like, I'm going to buy a BMW today. Phil's like, I want to get you in that BMW. Let's do that. <clears throat> so you tell him what you want. And Bob's, uh, Phil, sorry, Bob, Phil. I use these names interchangeably. Phil says, by the way, Michael, your car is right over there. And that smile that you have on your face, 
gets even bigger because there's your car and you're going to go get it. So it gives you a piece of paper. It's got three boxes on it. Financing and you've got um, your trade-in and you've got uh, your down payment. And then they play this game with you, right? You're going to finance it, so you sit there and they play this game and they move the numbers around and you're never quite sure what you're paying, but progress is being made. And you read that book that one time which says get up and walk out three times, so you walk out twice and they do something, but the numbers are being adjusted. And again, progress feels like you're being made and then it's been three or four hours and you didn't bring a balance bar or anything to eat, so you're hungry now and they're just wearing you down. And you finally say, okay, great. They make one last shove of something that you're not quite sure what happened. And you go, great, I got a car. And you're sitting there like, why do I feel like I got kicked in the stomach? What happened there? You did not know what you wanted. You know you wanted a car, but you missed a critical piece of data in that whole process. First off, the nerd and geek in you was really pissed off. And this is where the initial tension came from, which is you don't understand the system. Right? The system that's being played against you about all this financing hoo-ha, that really pissed you off. But the problem was actually further up the stream. The problem was further upstream in that you didn't know what you wanted to pay for that car. You didn't know. You didn't go to do the deep dive on how much that car cost. Where was it built? What did it cost them to make it? What does it cost to ship it over? How much is a dealer going to reasonably get? And at the end of all of that, what do you want to pay? You walk in, say, hey, Phil, I love this car. $30,000. And then Phil starts doing his moves and gives you the paper, and you're like, no, it's $30,000. I negotiated my rate with the bank, $30,000. He's like, no, but I can get you a better deal. And he starts flashing things at you and all these sorts of things. No, $30,000, that's what I want to pay. It's an incredibly liberating experience to walk into a situation and know exactly what you want. Let's bring it a little closer to home. This is a product from Mac OS X by a company called uh, Panic. It's called Kodak. I always say that. <clears throat> I uh, saw this product. Can you see that at all? How good are those screens? Oh, pretty good. Um, so I saw this product at South by Southwest about a year before it actually shipped. And Cable Sasser, who's a friend of mine, he's the founder of this company, he said, hey, Michael, really excited. I know what I want. We're going to go build a web development tool. And he brought up the screen to me, and he showed it to me. And I'm like, wow, OK, interesting. So you got a file viewer over here, and this looks like a CSS editor, and those are gorgeous. So you're done. Well done. He's like, no, this is Photoshop. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> this is impressive. This was, when I finally saw the product a year after or so after, and I fired it up, it was pretty much exactly the same as a comp. This is some pretty serious OCD going on here. <laughs> <laughs> what he'd done, and I think Cable's exceptional in this case, was he defined every piece of the application in Photoshop. Pixel perfect comps. This guy, and granted there's not interaction design and animations and that was all there too, but this guy clearly knows what he wants. Think about a spec that looks like this that you're developing from. Think about having these decisions already made for you. It's a much, much more powerful way to develop software. And this sort of design, this sort of knowing what you want, Todd, gives Cable a superpower. You know what Cable can say to compromise? <laughs> Fuck compromise. Now, <clears throat> this is, I realize there's probably CEOs and VPs and sort of you folks here, this probably would piss you off. Yes, you can tell your team, we've got to hit the schedule. Yes, you can tell the person that knows what they want, I'm sorry, we've got to hit the schedule. We've got to get this date, or we've got to have this level of quality. But if you have the person in the team that knows what they want, 
they can articulate in great detail the cost of, of doing this compromise. They may they have to, but you're going to go in knowing what you're going to get if someone actually tells you to you know, compromise. I love this. This is the best part of knowing what you want. You have a clear picture of where you're at, and you can tell other people where, the, where you're at. <clears throat> knowing what you want gives you measure, it gives you uh, structure, and it gives you direction. I know, I really know, I love it too. I love to get started on whatever the project is, but over years of doing this, I know that the more time that I spend up front asking all of those hard questions, the more likely I'm going to get what I, ex get what I expect. So winding down here, um, three points, talking shit, improvisation, learn how to make quick decisions, quick little decisions better. Delegation is the art of doing more, is choosing to do more, is actually sitting there and saying, hey, I want to go do what I'm good at. I'm going to trust other people to do what they're good at. And it's going to allow me to actually get more done, which is what I want to do. There's a rule. You grow or you die. I'm going to go with grow. <clears throat> Knowing what you want is the best spec that you can have. And again, I'm not talking about a process of review. I'm not talking about a documentation of a certain type. I'm talking about one person on the team, and maybe it's just you on the team, who is absolutely, totally clear about what we're doing. The expert who can talk to anyone, including my 10-year-old son, about what we're doing. It's a huge amount of work, and we're not necessarily, as nerds and geeks, predisposed to want to do that, because we want to go build stuff as quickly as possible, because specs are shh. But I think there's a huge amount of value. Again, the graph is better as we start to put decisions earlier. Put decisions earlier means less cost, less cost to the product. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about quality. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about all the little pieces that comprise of building a piece of software. I'm talking about more probability that you're going to hit your date. I'm talking about getting what you want. I'm talking about getting what you expect. Think about this. Think about all the decisions you're going to make over the course of the product. And just think about, this is the warm fuzzy, think about if you made 50% of them better. It's kind of, they're all the little decisions. We're not even talking about them. But think about 50% of those little decisions that you're making, making them better. It kind of gives me a warm fuzzy to think if you can actually pull that off. I think it means you're going to build better product. <clears throat> this deck was brought to you by the gorgeous typeface Sentinel and uh, Gotham Book. I uh, appreciate your time here, and uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.